0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to sunrise on this beautiful day. My name is Dan. I'm the worship director here, and so good to be worshiping with you all on this beautiful Sunday. We have a beautiful summery fall week ahead of us. I'm so excited. The low 70s and sun and no humidity. Praise the Lord for that coming out. And I think today's going to be a beautiful one. So, um, with that in mind, and with just, um, I'm sure you guys on social media and different places, but throughout the week, there's been so many amazing, beautiful sunsets this week. And I know I saw so many pictures on Facebook of the, I don't know if it was the Thursday night or Wednesday night, but just some gorgeous pictures. And um, it was just on my mind this weekend. Um, this scripture came to mind as we were um, seeing some of those things. So i like to read Psalm 19, just a few verses of it to you guys, to kind of get our minds and thoughts directed towards God this morning. So here are these words. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. God's creation is amazing, and His uh, craftsmanship and creativity is just astounding. So why don't you guys stand as we worship, as we sing to this God of creativity, this God of goodness. Let's sing Death Was Arrested.
1: Alone in my sorrow and dead My sin, lost without hope, with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes over.
2: Your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you.
1: Released from my chains, I'm a prisoner no more. Any shame was ransomed me faithfully my dad and he called me his friend when death was arrested in my life
2: he did. oh grace so free washes over me you have made I
3: so easy to just sing them and not believe them and not realize what we're saying God even right now you are with us you dwell in us and around us in creation that we see but also in us you have created us in your image help us to believe that to know that you love us even in our brokenness. And when we feel ashamed or we feel unworthy, God, let us hear your voice saying, you are loved, you are my child, I am with you. The enemy wants us not to believe that, God. But you love us. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness more than we can understand. Thank you that you are with us. Speak to us this morning, throughout our week, in each moment, God. We love you and we want to hear from you.
4: Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning, Sunrise. All right. Um, I just want to welcome all of you to Sunrise. If this is your first time here, whether you are here in person or you are online, we would love to get to know you a little better. So on the front of your chair, there is a Q, on the front of the cha- the back, the back of the chair in front of you, that's it. On the back of the chair in front of you, there's a QR code that you can scan or if you're online, there will be a link in the comments that you can check out. i believe there's a gift for you too that will happen so um so a, a few announcements today at one if you have a child in fifth grade or below join us on i believe oh goodness i should have checked with penny before see i'm i'm up here on the screen oh look it's on the screen <laughs> join us online um we're going to have a um Penny's going to talk through expectations of what's going to be happening with our kids this year in um, for Sunrise Kids, and yeah, so, okay, I'm going to recover for the next one. All right, this is the last week to sign up for Three's Company and Small Group, so um, if you are looking to do that, then this is the last week to do so, and then on October 5th at Hudsonville Grill, Pub Theology will start at 6.30, so um, guys, we'd love to see you there. Um, As Dan comes up to um, do our, to get ready for the sermon this morning, I just wanted to read a prayer. This is out of Every Moment Holy. We are gathered here uniquely in all of history, we particular people in this singular time and place. Accomplish your purposes among us, O God. Tune our hearts to the voice of your Spirit. Wake us to be present to you and to one another in these shared hours we are given. For it is you, O Lord, who have so gathered us from our various places, and you alone who know our hearts and our needs. Among us are some who arrive anxious, some who are lonely, some who suffer pain or sorrow. May we in our joys find grace to enter the sorrows of others. Among us are some who arrive rejoicing, Hearts made light by good news, good health, glad anticipation. May we, in our sorrows, find grace to embrace the joys of others. Let us prize these moments and care for one another deeply, for each of us and our relationships to one another are precious and fleeting. Amen.
5: Good morning, everybody. How are you? Good. Good. I'm going to ask one more time because that was not in any way convincing. How are you guys? Good. I also don't know why that's common practice in churches to make you say it in a certain way. I'm sorry. (laughs) My name is Dan Fisher. Uh, Glad that you're here this morning. Whether you're here for the first time, you've been here a few times, you've been here a really long time. Uh, We're glad that you are here with us. Uh, There's coffee out in the lobby if you didn't see that on the way in. If you used our valet parking, you need to know that we do not have valet parking. Um, so you can handle that at the connect table in the lobby afterward. Um, we have been talking over the last several weeks about what it means to be a church called "tove. Uh, and in our last few conversations, I've been trying to paint for us a clear picture of what that word "tove." Means. For those of you who've jumped in, Tov is an old dusty Hebrew word that you can kind of wipe all the dust off of, and as you look at it, you can explore the depths of what the word means. You can see up here these other words that are kind of in a lighter font. It explains for us what this unpacked Tov word means. It is perfect, it is beautiful, it's a masterpiece. It's something that people look at and say, I want some of that. And so there is a book that's been written by a really smart guy named Scott McKnight, called A Church Called Tove. Now, I am a guy who takes off the dust cover of hardback books, so if you're looking for this, go to the bookstore, take off all the dust covers, and look for a light blue book. Uh, This is a wonderful book. Uh, This book was written in response to a lot of the things that have happened in churches currently that helped many of us look at those churches and say, that is not Tove. That is not good When there are victims who come forward and they're not believed, when there are pastors, when there are church leaders who take advantage of situations financially, emotionally, whatever it is, those things are not good. And what Scott McKnight does in this book and what we have been trying to do in these last few conversations is to help us see that it is incredibly important for us to be a people, both in our families and as a community, that the folks around us point to and say, that is Tove." That is good and that is beautiful. And so in that line of thought, we've been building a slow and steady foundation to help us understand uh, how it is that we can uh, not just know in our minds what this idea of Tov means, but helps put handles on what it means so that we can grab it and we can live into it uh, throughout our lives. So we started with the idea that God himself is Tov, the highest expression of goodness, is found its home in God. And we talked in that conversation about the importance of compassion and justice. We then moved on to say that God's design, as he moves outside of himself and he begins to act in the world, his design, the way he desires things to be, is also like him. It is tov. It is beautiful and it is good. Then we talked about how for us then it is important for us to not just see that God is good, that he does good things, but for us to become actively engaged in also doing these good things things. And so last week we talked about the importance of valuing others and serving them. This morning's conversation is to help us see that Tove also resists. There is a, a measure of defiance in what it means to be good and beautiful. And so the two items here, the two practices, the things that help us kind of walk down the ladder of abstraction for us a bit this morning are these two things. Number one, to have self-control, and number two, to show grace. Father, we come to you this morning uh, as a people who I think are here in part to understand a little bit better who we are and who you are, uh, how it is that we can live well in a world uh, where it's really easy not to. And so I pray that um, all the other parts of our lives that have been crashing in on us, that have been Prompting smiles that have been tensing our shoulders, whatever those things are. That during this time, you would give us what we need to relax our shoulders a bit, to reassess ourselves, our lives in such a way that we can move forward with confidence and with humility. In Christ's name, amen. So we've been having a conversation over the last several days, which really is a conversation built on the last several years with our kids. Uh, where we talk about our brains. Some of you already know about this. Kids, have you heard about feeling brains or thinking brains? If, or adults, if you've heard about that, would you raise your hand just so I know if I'm not alone? Okay, there are five of you with me. Wonderful. All right, cool. So uh, one of the things that we have gathered with us as parents to help our kids process through their emotions and how to make wise choices is this idea of two brains that kind of hug themselves. And this is built off of the idea of just human anatomy, okay? Okay. So you've got a a thinking brain, if you will, your prefrontal cortex, which unfortunately doesn't fully develop until you're like in your 20s. So high schoolers, college students who are making really bad choices, just tell your parents, my brain's not fully developed, give me a break. (laughs) You can stick that one in your back pocket. Parents, don't email me about that. Uh, But underneath all of that, kind of buried deeper in your brain is your amygdala. And that's where your feeling center is. And so for all of us, this is how a normal, if you will, brain, a typical brain looks. What's really easy for us as kids, because that prefrontal cortex, the thinking part is not fully developed, is that we live lives based on feeling, right? I want that Snickers bar, and you won't let me have it, and so I will Feel all of that anger inside of me and cast myself onto the hard tile in family fair and make you look like a fool. (laughs) Teenagers, if you have done that, that is not a situation where you can say my prefrontal cortex is not fully formed. (laughs) But even as adults, we have these situations where there is an internal struggle between our feeling brain and our thinking brain, right? I know for me, whenever I see a box of Swiss cake rolls when I am in the middle of a really difficult and frustrating house project, my feeling brain lights up and says, come on boys, we need you. When I am thinking well, I realize to myself, those Swiss cake rolls, if I eat all of them, will cause a gastrointestinal problem later. When we live in a world where it seems like things are not going the way that they should be, our home projects are not going smoothly, this experiment of what it means to be a productive industrial society today is not the way that it should be, we all have an opportunity to look at the Swiss cake rolls of our lives, our hobby horses, the way we think things should be and let our feelings get the best of us and cast thinking to the side. And we live with those regrets sometimes, right? If we shrink that down a bit, and we don't think on a national level, but we think about a familial level, or in a professional setting, we can feel really frustrated with the way that things have gone. Jim stole lunch from the refrigerator again, and I had my name on it. This person did not do what they were supposed to do with their project again, and I feel angry. Life is not the way that it should be. This person did this to me, and our feeling brains and our thinking brains fire off, and we've got to figure out how do we respond well to the situations that we're in. Do we give way to the feeling brain or to the thinking brain? Uh, Sam played, plays baseball, and One of the places that we go for him to play baseball is over at the Hudsonville Hudsonville Fields. If you've been there, you know that there are AYSO soccer fields there all the time. I didn't realize until a few weeks ago that I actually played soccer there in high school. I loved soccer. I was a center midfielder. I loved running around. I loved scoring. I loved playing defense. And every time I got onto that soccer field, I knew if the referee made a good call or a bad call. Because I was a referee. And doggone it, when a referee makes a bad call and I know what the right call is, I'm not using my thinking brain. I'm letting the referee know how I feel. But I'm being very careful because I will say something I would say something like, That was an awful call, sir. And I would accumulate yellow cards. And there was a list of referees who I knew if they were there, I would really have to walk carefully. But on this field that we drove by, and I realized they played high school soccer on several years ago, I recalled a game that I had remembered really well. And this was a game that was really tense. I mean, it was a very close game, uh, super competitive kid, and I wanted to rule the center midfield of the soccer field. The problem was there was a guy on the other team who wanted to do the same thing, and he was pretty good at it, and he was quick. I was used to being one of the fastest kids on my teams. This kid was really fast, and the game was going on. We were all tense. I don't even remember what the score was, but it was neck and neck, and this other kid on the other team, center midfielder, got the ball, and I was close enough to him that I knew my job was to do a great job for my team to help us win, and the way that you do that is you stay competitive, you get the ball from the other guy, you pass it off to your team, you set them up so they can score, and things go well. But doggone it, this kid, as we were running, he just kept getting a few steps ahead of me, and I was falling further behind. And my feeling brain went, and I grabbed his jersey, and I yanked him back. And I still remember that. That was not a good call for me in that moment. I did something that broke the rules of the soccer field because of my feeling brain. I wanted to do what was good. I wanted to be active in what a Tove soccer team looks like where you're able to keep up with your opponents. But I didn't resist what was wrong. It's very clear in soccer that you don't give someone an elbow, you don't pull on their jersey, you don't do those things. And I think in life, There are times when we pull for a jersey, or we grab for the Swiss cake rolls, or we throw ourselves on the hard tile of the family fare of life and throw fits. We might do all the right things to try to do good, but we can fall down when it comes to resisting what is bad. And I think this is why, this is a reality for humans throughout all of history, and I think this is why Paul writes these words in Romans. He says... Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, again, if we dust off these words that have been translated into nice, clean, fresh, shiny words for us today, that word good there, if you follow it back, is the word tov. Do what is good. Do what is beautiful. And that word evil there is ra. Just R A. Super easy. Resist what is evil. Do what is good. These things are diametrically opposed to one another. And so for all of us then, we have these categories of what is good and what is evil. And in scripture, oftentimes those words are interchanged with darkness and light. We translate translate that in today of using colors black and white. And we have these ideas of what is good and what is bad. You guys with me? Good. All right. Wonderful. Now here's where things can get difficult. And you guys know this. Uh, Let's shift to buying a house. Man, nobody wants to buy a house right now, but if you want to sell it, it feels pretty good to do that, huh? But let's talk about houses for a minute. You found a house that you really want. You look at it and you say, man, that thing is beautiful. It's perfect. There have been a lot of people today who have said, you know what, we're not going to do the inspections. We're just going to buy the house because it looks great. You guys know anybody who's been in that situation? Okay. There are people in that situation. (laughs) And so they don't do the inspection, they don't do all these other things, they move into the house and it becomes a money pit. Great movie, by the way, if you haven't seen that. It's really old, but if you have, it's great. And that's a problem. We can look at things and at a surface level think that this is a good thing. But then as we peel back the layers and actually look at it a little bit better, we can realize, wait a minute, that box that I thought was white, was good, is actually bad. Let me give you just a quick example here. Uh, You got this house right here. That's a pretty good looking house, isn't it? I mean, I know it's small up there, but if you look at it in real life, it's big. Beautiful house. I mean, it looks like it's pretty new construction. How many of you would say, no, I don't want to move into that house? Exactly. Then you got this other house right here. That's the one you're going to live in if you're fresh into college and you don't have any money. You're going to find that puppy on campus somewhere or close by and you're going to hope for six roommates so that your rent is 50 bucks a month. How many of you would say, yep, I want to live there? Not many of us. You look at them side by side, and it becomes pretty clear which one of these things in our eyes looks good, right? <laughs> it's the one on the left. I mean, you can fit far more people in there. If you've got a bunch of kids, you've got more bedrooms. The one on the right, you can't have a very big party there. It probably doesn't have a very big yard, and it's not super appealing to the eyes, right? And we live our lives this way. We want to make sure that we look good to people. We want to look tove, beautiful, good, a masterpiece. And so we invest in all of the things that are really important for us to look that way in our context, right? In the professional field, we go off and we attend conferences. We make sure that we get our projects done on time. We put in extra hours to make sure that we're able to accomplish what we need to so that we look good. The problem is that that can come at a cost, right? You can do really well at work, you can do really well at school but then be crumbling on the inside because you don't have a relationship with your family anymore. Or you've come to define yourself by how you look on the outside, but there's absolutely no focus on how you look on the inside. But if we can take a deeper look just at these two houses, and I think this is a good example for us, you really don't want to be living in that house on the left. Because if you look closely, the whole thing is on a foundation that's sinking down into the ground. and So if we can take the time to look at things that we call good or bad, or our own lives and how we build them and how they look, we can be really proud of how they look because we've done all of the things that we're told we're supposed to do and yet we know that the foundation underneath is crumbling. Or we can be a people who try to be real work through life well, and though we might not be the most attractive person on the block or in our team or the person who our bosses say, you're the one who's going to get the raise, we can know that the foundation of the house is still good. There's a song about that, right? So what does it look like for us then to know what is good and what is bad so that we know not just what to do but what things to resist? This is an important thing. Again, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. Do what is good, overcome what is evil. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good is the way that he writes it. And he goes on further in the book of Galatians, and this is where I kind of want us to anchor us in for a little bit. To paint for us a picture of what it is that is good. This is a list that does not jibe with what America, or Canada, or Mexico, or any other country, or probably your job, or maybe even you if you're really honest about it, is actually a list of things that we would call good. My hope is that we can all be honest enough to look at what I'm about to show you and look at it clearly to help us see what's here. This is the meat of our conversation. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, what it means to be good are these things, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We talked about this verse last week. At the very end, he says something that I really like. There's not a law against any of these things. You won't get in trouble anywhere in the world at any point in time if you do these things. The foundation that you're building in life will always be sure and steady if this is the material that you're using. And that's a wonderful thing, right? I mean, this becomes very clear for us then, the things that we should become actively engaged in, the things that we should do and the things that we should be. And that's wonderful, tremendously helpful. And yet, even for Paul, it's not complete. Paul says even before this what it means we have to resist. Let's go back to baseball for a minute or softball even. It is a good thing to steal bases, Right? You want to do that. As soon as you're on base, you want to cause problems for the team who's on the field. And you want to try to steal a base. But it's not enough to know or to just run for second base or third base or for home plate. You have to resist leaving too soon, right? You have to resist going halfway and getting scared and coming back. When you're making a cake or you're putting together some kind of thing, it's good to follow the instructions. It's good to have all of the ingredients there. It's good to do those things, but you also have to resist turning up the temperature on the oven to a higher temperature so that it'll get done faster, because it'll ruin the cake. If you think you know how to put something together, and you know that you should be following the instructions, but you think you know what they are, you will eventually find yourself in Menards four hours later, like I was, looking for a box of Swiss cake rolls, and then hiding in your van, eating them in the darkness of your garage, listening to the tail end of a Cubs game, for example. And so if these are good things that we should be doing, what are the things that we should be resisting? And Paul answers that question here. He says, the acts of the flesh, this is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. This is immediately before the fruit of the Spirit. He says, these are the things that we should resist. He calls them the acts of the flesh. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. This is Facebook. How much of this do you see on Facebook? Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat. It's really easy to get sucked into this stuff, isn't it? I get jealous. I have intense fellowship. That's a biblical way of saying anger, fits of rage. We all have those things, right? The feeling brain wants to fire off and tell us what it is that's good and We want to pursue those things rather than thinking through them well and understanding our situations and what we should actually be doing versus resisting. And I think Paul points these things out because he knew what it was that Jesus taught, what Jesus came to this world to make sure he unleashed in a space where the world was upside down so that some way the upside down world could eventually become right side up. It was Jesus on the side of a mountain who said, it is the merciful who are blessed It's those of you who mourn who are blessed. Those of you who are hungering and thirsting to live a life that people look at and say is beautiful, you are blessed. Those of you who have been stepped on by people who have been privileged, those of you who have been pushed down because you have been doing the right thing and the people around you don't want you to do that, you are blessed. And in every one of those statements that we call the Beatitudes, Jesus puts in the ground a flag that is a flag of defiant resistance. Because it's in our world, it's in the Roman world of the time that the country was saying it is the strong and the not merciful who are blessed, who make the best way in life. It's not the peaceful, it's the movers and shakers, those who get it done, who are blessed. It's those who don't let people mistreat them for anything and so change themselves depending on the situation that they're in to be treated well. It is those people who become blessed in life. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. We have to live a life of defiance that is able to see what is good and what is bad. And so I want to help us walk through a very simple exercise as we wind this down that somebody walked me through that I found to be very helpful that you can repeat over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in your life, whether you are in middle school, high school, college. You're married with kids, you're divorced, you're an empty nester, whatever it is. These things, this practice can apply to you, and it can help you and me live a life of resistance. And here it is. We're just going to go back to what it is Paul wrote. Back here in Galatians. Fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to read through the list again, but here's what I want you to do. Look through those things in the privacy of your own mind or on the screen of your phone or on a little piece of paper with a pen. Just find one or two things there that you could say, you know what, those are things that I would benefit from growing into. My relationships would become stronger if I were to do one of these things or two of these things. I'll give you just a few seconds to look through that and mentally just point one of those out in your head. What we're doing right now is we're taking the time to look at the text and in the words of this book, A Church Called Tove, and the conversation that we've been having, we're looking for the ways to become active in Tov. And This is where we're trying to intentionally become a people with self-control. Now on the flip side of that, we looked at the things that Paul said we should resist I want you now to look at these things and this is where you got to have a, a humility inside of you which we're more comfortable doing internally than we are doing externally but if you were to look at this list of things I would be willing to bet you a box of Swiss cake rolls that there's something up here that you could say you know what if I could work on resisting that my life and my relationships would be better what is it for you Highlight one of those things, maybe two. Here's my final question for you. A couple, actually, I'm going to bundle of them, a, a few of them here together. If you've been actively participating with us, either in the room or online, you've taken the time now to see a couple of things that you'd say, yeah, these are areas that I want to grow in. I want to become active in doing these things because I know that they will help me and our community become a beautiful representation of who God is. We'll be Tove. You've also taken the time to look at this list of things that are up here right now and say, you know what, these things I really should be resisting if I'm going to follow what it is that Jesus and Paul taught about how we should live. And in that, we've taken the time to identify, okay, these are some of the things that maybe I'm drawn to or I am actively engaged in that I need to somehow find a way to resist. So now it's really easy for us to ask the question, okay, what's next? How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. And I'm going to kind of pull some things out of the last few conversations that we've had. Who is in your social circle? I want you to think about the people who you were in a small group with, whose kids show up at the same events that you do, who you've gotten a bit of a relationship with, or your coworker, or your spouse, or your cousins, your grandparents, whoever it is, who are your social people? And out of that group of people, who loves you, and who do you trust? Maybe it's one person, maybe it's a handful. And then here's the bold part. Will you talk to them about this? About the things that you want to do, the good things, the the way you want to become a good expression of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? That'll do a really great job of painting a house that looks really good. But are you willing to take away that black box that shows that maybe the house that you've been building is a bit of a foundation problem that needs to be fixed? Now, here's the thing. The only way this works is if we do the second thing that I brought up at the beginning. We talked about self-control. The second one is grace. It's really easy to pull back that black box of whatever it is that's been hiding underneath the thing that we've been making look good, if we know the people around us, will respond with grace. So here's what that means. When Stephanie opened the garage door, after I had been sitting there for, I don't know how long, long enough to consume several Swiss cake rolls, and she asked me what I was doing, I pulled back that black box and I said, I'm really angry, (laughs) and I bought a box of Swiss cake rolls, and my stomach is starting to hurt me, and she could have at that moment not responded with grace and said, that was really stupid, like you know what that's going to do to you later, that money wasn't budgeted for Swiss cake rolls, that was for more paper clips and G2 pens in our office. You know what she did instead? She said, take your time. Finish up the game. I'm inside waiting for you. Too many of us have lived in and contributed to churches that are not Tove so that when someone is sitting in the darkness of their garage with something that is not good, there's not really an opportunity created to pull back the cover and say, here's what's going on underneath. My marriage is falling apart. I'm addicted to this. I really want to help do some things at work that I shouldn't be doing to help increase our bottom line. So there's a push and there's a pull here. The push is for us to be a people who are brave enough to say, these are the things that I would like to resist and I will bring this to you as a person who I trust to help me resist these things. But the pull is that it is easy for us as a good Western Michigan church group of people, not everyone, but there are stereotypes for a reason. It's really easy for us to say, well, we don't want to affiliate with people whose foundations look like this. You know what? They're really attracted to people of the same sex. This is somebody who's had one too many affairs Yeah, this person is addicted to cigarettes, and so that's okay, but this person right here is addicted to meth, and so... What I want to suggest is that the irreducible minimum here is that we have to do both at the same time. If we are going to be a Tove church, a beautiful community of people, then we must at the very same time subscribe to the idea of offering grace, to people while also revealing that we need grace ourselves. So the final question I want to ask you is this, when people wake up and begin to have a sense of desiring self-control in such a way that they say to you, these are the things that are going well in my life, the ways that I want to grow, and you know what, here are some things in my life that I want to resist. Are you responding with grace, which is Tove, which is in alignment with what Paul and Jesus taught, or are you responding with a push? Because a push away from things that don't feel good, that don't look good, so that you look better fits really well into the narrative of our country, into the narrative that we teach ourselves just by default, because that's what our feelings tell us. My prayer, my hope, is that we would be a people who integrate our feelings and our thinking. That we are a people who will hold tightly onto this sense of self-control, knowing what it is we should be doing and what it is we should be resisting, while at the very same time subscribing to and holding to and religiously and liberally dispensing grace from. God, this stuff is hard. (laughs) There are times in life when I don't want anybody to see the foundations that I've been building on, the stories I've been telling myself, the uh, internal values that I have that help me become self-protective or judgmental of other people. And so, God, I know that when I look at this list of things to do, this list of the fruit of the Spirit, there are definitely things there that I want to grow in. And then it's harder, but it's also good for me to see the things, for us to see the things that we should be resisting. And so, God, that list of things uh, that we should be resisting, it's definitely not a a list that we would want to have to stand up in front of people in a public way and say, yeah, these are the ones that connect to me. And yet somehow you want us to resist those things, and we know that our own willpower is not enough, that we need people around us, who are walking with us who love us and trust us want what's best for us and give us grace and i know all of us are stuck in both of those worlds wanting to do what is good wanting to resist what is bad and yet also wanting to have a safe space where we can bring those things up and so god i pray for wisdom for all of us i pray for bravery for courage i pray for self-control Regardless of how we enter these conversations, whether we're on the listening end or the talking end, that we would be a people with self-control who offer grace as an act of defiant resistance against what is wrong. In Christ's name, amen. So at the end of all of our services, we sing songs. We give people an opportunity to give. You can give by just hanging out and giving part of your story to somebody else. It doesn't mean you have to divulge everything, but there's a great thing that happens when you just talk. There's coffee out here. If you're an introvert, you can grab one of those cups of coffee and hide behind it. It's a good shield. We also give people an opportunity to give. There's an opportunity to come up and say, hey, I want somebody to pray with me. Can you just talk with me and process through a few different things? And we sing a song. These things, I know it can feel like they're just a pattern of what we do and we always do them and yeah, I'll do it and there's really no thought behind it. But there's thought that goes into this by Dan and his team every week. They'll provide a space for us where we're at least given the opportunity to focus on the things that we can do and the things that we can resist. So as we sing this song, as you participate with us all the way till the time you leave our parking lot, we hope that your time with us has been a space where you have felt transformed by God's love and grace and where you can go back into your work week to school, wherever it is, as someone who is refreshed and able to bring the transforming love and grace of God with you. Let's think.
0: Go ahead and stand together. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenants, the faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proved to do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the
2: winds may blow, I'll remain steady faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness. pass away. Your word remains the same. Yeah. History can move. There's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and go.
5: I don't know your situation. I'm imagining that this morning this conversation prompts all kinds of questions for you. There's a tension between putting up with things that are bad and responding with things that are good, which can often feel like no boundaries, but then there's this line where at some point you got to put up boundaries. Here's what I want you to know. It's a final picture that I'll give you. Just because a house does not have a good foundation doesn't mean that the whole house has to be torn down. It doesn't mean that you are an awful person we have friends who we know whose house after they bought it actually when they bought it they knew that the foundation was off it would have to be fixed and so they invested time they found the right people around them who could help them literally lift that house up enough to rebuild the foundation that was there underneath it and then gently land that house back down on a new foundation That's what we want to do here at Sunrise Ministries. That is why there's a table out here with clipboards on it for you to sign up to join a group of people who could potentially become your social circle where you could say, here's where my foundation is cracking, where I need you to help me resist. So on your way out, maybe stop by that table. It's right right by the coffee, right by the introvert shields. Maybe grab one of those pens and write it down. Take a chance. We want to be a place that is dedicated to God's love and grace. we will help lift houses enough to tear down or help address the issues of a foundation and rebuild a new one. So if you need to come forward for prayer, if you need to sign up for that, talk to somebody, do that today. If you don't do it today, I am praying that God would give you the bravery to do that at some point soon. Have a great week. Thank you for being with us today. Oh, yes, you're going to come up and tell me to mention this. Final thing. Tanner and Kylie, Taminga's baby, is here. I think you all knew that. They are still at the hospital. Henry, their baby, has a breathing rate that's a little bit too fast. They're just waiting for that to slow back down so that he can go home. Anatomically, Henry looks wonderful. For those of you who don't know Tanner and Kylie, Tanner is our youth director. And so uh, he's visible to a lot of us. But Continue praying that Henry's body would get to the point where his breathing slows and they can go home. They're sick of being able to see him during the day, but then have to say goodbye and be at home without him. So if you think about them, if you have their address, their phone number, reach out, let them know that you're praying for them. And with that, we're good to go. Have a great week.